You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I am your host, one of your hosts today, Ben. I'm here with Matt. I'm here. And uh, we're excited to bring you this interview. Matt, you conducted this interview by yourself with Ron Sider. Um, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Such a big boy. Doing interviews all by yourself. Um, Yeah. Uh, What what is... If this is your felt, first time listening to the podcast, you're like, gosh, that, that Ben guy is kind of a paternalistic I know, I, jerk. I know. I felt, I felt, I was like, I felt bad about it because I'm like, <laughs> well, hopefully everybody knows I'm joking. Um, I'm mm. not normally like this. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it was, it's funny because Matt, you are, you know, more than capable of conducting an interview by, on your own. Of course you are. That's, I why am it's funny. That's why it's a funny joke, everybody. And if anybody's going to be condescending paternalistic jerk, it's me. So this is a complete uh, reversal. It's a reversal yeah. of fortunes. Yeah. So Ryan Sider so, is this guy who writes stuff for the church about mm-hmm. economics and violence and other things. And he has this crazy prophetic edge to him. Like he mm-hmm. says things that other people won't say that mm-hmm. you really can't argue with. I mean, people do argue with him. Don't get me wrong. But it's like he's the guy that He's the guy that you just can't argue with and you just wish wouldn't write books, but he does. And he <laughs> says things that are so challenging. And so yeah. one of the things he he's written three books on nonviolence. Uh, yeah. We had him on earlier to talk about how Jesus talked about nonviolence and the early church witnessed to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this book today was about how nonviolence is actually changing the world. Mm. People in different countries and different situations who are, legitimately employing nonviolent means to oppose and overthrow violent dictators and tyrannical governments. And it's not just pie in the sky. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not uh, letting a million people die while you pray in your room without a gun in your hand. 
I mean, these are like fierce uh, stories, usually, by the way, of women who are yeah. employing nonviolent means to thwart violence. And so Ron's written a book about this yeah. and we talked to him about it. I just, I commend it because the biggest argument I hear about being nonviolent is that it's simply not practical. That's It that's won't it. work. It won't yep. work. It's not practical. Jesus says, love your neighbor, but, and, you know, pray for those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. But really when push comes to shove, you better shove. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Ron just says, well, you know what? How about develop this imagination? How yeah. about allow this imagination to be funded here? Mm. Um, and, and I, I'm just struck by how like Ron has written a, a book of, of stories. Some of them are Christians. Some of them aren't who are making nonviolence practical. Love that. Yeah. I, I hear the same thing. I think it's, uh, it's difficult to imagine and therefore, uh, we just assume that it's too risky to try. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Can yeah. I tell you a secret? Can I tell you a secret, Ben? Sure. If lean in though. All right. Don't just between don't you let and anybody me. Else yeah. I think that I think that one of the major obstacles to nonviolence is mm-hmm. is that uh, for Christians is we believe death is the worst thing that could happen to us. Mm-hmm. And so we take our death off the table as a non-negotiable, mm-hmm. and then we look for ways to resolve conflict and violence. Yeah. And uh, Christians, including Jesus. That's not that's not how they they didn't see death as the worst thing that could happen. In fact, early Christians saw martyrdom or death as the best thing that could happen to them. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me that they had a robust imagination for what nonviolence could do. Yes. Yeah, their vision of uh, flourishing their vision of flourishing was just so very different from how we think about it in the western world, the affluent western world. Um, we just we imagine that suffering and death are are some of the worst things that could ever happen to us, and we can't we just can't imagine our way yeah. into the good life that would include those things. Yeah. So, anyway. so Ron's gonna Ron's gonna talk to uh, talk us about that. Uh, we're gonna put the, his book in the show notes, and uh, I just encourage you to let your imagination be funded yes. by uh, by a love that doesn't seek to preserve self. Mm. Well, I need that amen. too. I need that. Yes. Too. Yeah, we all do. All right. Enjoy the interview. Get ready. Get ready. Ron Sider, welcome back to the podcast. Good to see you. Delighted to be with you again. Yes. um, Ron, would you give our listeners a brief... Uh, introduction to who you are for those who are unfamiliar with you. I'm a farm boy from Southern Ontario who uh, was the first person in my family to go to college. I uh, was fortunate to uh, get a good scholarship and do a PhD at Yale in history. And uh, then I uh, uh, taught at Messiah College in the inner city campus uh, and uh, became deeply engaged in questions of racial justice and economic justice uh, my mm. best-known book is Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, yes, uh, which has uh, dealt with the issue of global uh, global hunger. I've tried throughout my life uh, to put Jesus at the center and let 
the full uh, scriptures be my norm, and uh, I've been called to try to combine word and deed, evangelism and social action. Got a book uh, called Good News and Good Works that talks about how those two fit together. Um, and uh, I'm now 80 years old and uh, retired. Uh, and I like to say, if you're 80 years old and uh, uh, you love the Lord and you love your wife and you love the work you're still doing and the doctor says you're in good health, does it get better than that? Yeah, that's great, man. I mean, so many, there is this ageism that's settled into our culture where older people or maybe discarded or not as respected as like you were a youth culture. But I got to tell you, it's so good to hear you say that. Um, we need 80 year olds who are excited about being 80 and aren't afraid to talk about it. <laughs> like we need, we need fathers and mothers like that. So uh, welcome back to the podcast. We had you on last time to talk a little bit about what was a more like theological biblical book. If Jesus is Lord loving our enemies in an age of violence, where you kind of go through uh, the texts of scripture and make a case for um, loving enemies through nonviolence as being biblically faithful. It's one of three books you've written on this. And we thought it, it might be pertinent to have you back and talk about an earlier book that you wrote that was more, uh, more based on stories called Nonviolent Action, What Christian Ethics Demands, But Most Christians Have Never Really Tried. Uh, Ron, maybe to start off, why did you decide to write a book uh, basically of case studies of how nonviolent action has worked. Yeah, well, I really wanted to do two prior books before I got to uh, the one that uh, we were on talking about the last time, because uh, I have felt uh, all my life that Jesus really meant to say where his disciples are not supposed to kill. But in order to get to that book, I, I wanted to know, first of all, what the early church said about killing. And uh, that was my um, first book, uh, The Early Church on Killing, where I collected everything that we now is extant, which we now have on the early church and killing up until Constantine. And the short summary is that there's not one single author up until the time of Constantine who talks about killing and says it's okay for Christians to kill. They always say when they talk about it, no. But yes. then the, the book that you referenced, Nonviolent Action, uh, I think the strongest argument against my position um, and the most standard argument uh, is that um, people who are, quote, pacifists um, committed to nonviolence um, are, are really not accepting their responsibility to work for justice and peace. Um, C.S. Lewis famously said that um, he didn't think that um, if um, Jesus was um, standing there and somebody came along and tried to push him aside so he could go and kill his neighbor, that Jesus would just say, okay, um, uh, I won't do anything. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis is right. Uh, if there are only two options, and Gandhi put it uh, famously, mm. if only two options are to do nothing in the face of terrible evil or to kill, of course we should kill. But uh, the Nonviolent Action book points out that there's always a third option. Yes. Uh, we can always intervene nonviolently. Uh, and uh, the amazing truth is that in the last 50 years, especially um, 60, 75, the uh, success of nonviolence has been demonstrated again and again. We all know about Gandhi, who changed um, uh, British history in, in India. 
with yes, his yes. famous uh, nonviolent uh, campaign. Dr. Martin Luther King changed American history in important ways, not enough, but uh, in, in wonderfully important ways through his nonviolence. And it's not just that. Um, uh, in the Philippines, uh, there was a vicious dictator, Marcos. He ruled for a long time, and people thought it, uh, the only way to get rid of him would be a 10-year civil war. Uh, but in fact, um, a nonviolent campaign, a million plus people came out into the streets and uh, the um, military that he sent to um, you know, repress them uh, just refused to shoot at uh, praying nuns standing in, or kneeling in front of tanks and uh, he was overthrown. Yes. Or in um, in uh, Poland, uh, the, there was a vicious communist dictatorship there and uh, solidarity uh, used nonviolence. Uh, and in fact, uh, defeated uh, the uh, communist uh, dictatorship. The story goes on and on. Uh, women in Liberia did an amazing nonviolent campaign against a brutal uh, dictator there, um, uh, President Taylor. And again, uh, they won. So nonviolence works. In fact, there was a, a story, uh, not a story, a, a book, scholarly book by uh, Columbia University Press a few years ago. And two scholars had studied about 300 of the most important, both violent and nonviolent campaigns in the last hundred years. And they discovered that the nonviolent campaigns were about twice as likely to succeed hmm. as the violent campaigns. And they were far more likely um, to produce a democratic future after the revolution. So, Nonviolence works. It's not true that yeah, there are just yeah. two options. Nothing, do nothing, or kill. There's always a third option of nonviolent action, and it often works. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Yes. Well, Ron, I, what, I want to dig in maybe a little more into these uh, particulars, but I know that you yourself participated in some nonviolent action. Uh, was it 80s or 90s? Um, you talk about it. Uh, yeah, uh, mid 80s. Um, I was um, uh, I was involved, um, I think, on the advisory board of Witness for Peace in the uh, early 80s. Um, the the Sandinista government had. Uh, had um, taken over in Nicaragua in 1979, and the Sandinistas were a mix of some hardcore Marxists, some car some more nationalists, but they were certainly um, uh, sympathetic to uh, Soviet Union. And uh, President Reagan decided to fund the Contras, that was a military group that was trying to overthrow the Sandinistas. And in fact, um, uh, many, many people were being killed. Uh, it was just devastating Nicaragua. And yep. what Witness for Peace said was, we're going to go down as American Christians, um, and we're going to stand between the Contras uh, and the Nicaraguan people. 
they weren't taking a stand for or against the politics of the, the Sandinistas, uh, but uh, they said it's wrong for the American government to be funding uh, countries who are killing um, hundreds and hundreds of uh, Nicaraguans, doctors, teachers, uh, uh, and, and so on. And I actually went down in uh, early uh, uh, 18, uh, 18, not that old, uh, <laughs> 1985. Actually, I had, I had given a speech at the Mennonite World Conference in um, uh, July of the year before um, on uh, the um, Anabaptist tradition of nonviolence and um, that uh, has led to Christian peacemaker teams, which uh, yeah. now intervene in situations of conflict around the world. But I hadn't actually done it myself. Uh, and uh, in that, uh, I think it was January of um, 85, I went down. Uh, it was uh, not exactly uh, the safest kind of thing to do. Uh, <laughs> when we got there, um, we were told that we were supposed to go into um, uh, a city um, uh, uh, called San Juan de la May, I think it was. Uh, and uh, that city was under terrible attack by the, uh, the Contras, funded by the U.S. They had um, killed people uh, in the previous month, and they asked us, are we ready to go in? So we decided, yes, that's why we came, we'll do it. And as we wound down the mountain, down to the to the city, we knew there were probably a thousand Contras watching us in their binoculars. We didn't know if we would be safe. But when we got there, uh, the um, people in the city said that that night, for the first time, they slept peacefully because mm. they were pretty sure that the Contras would not attack Americans. Uh, U.S. money was funding the Contras. It wouldn't have been good politics for them to kill praying Americans uh, who were um, uh, in uh, that town. So it was it was important to do that uh, to put in practice what I had urged others to do in my speech at the Mennonite World Conference. Yeah, uh, that was an important time for me. Yeah, so you were around fifty years old. Yeah, ish. Let's see, uh, yeah, uh, seventy-nine. I was um, forty-five, forty-six. Yeah. Okay, so you you probably have a family, kids, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. two boys and a daughter. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just reminded of like first John four, as you're talking, Ron, um, you know, he talks about, um, what love is John does. And he says in verse 10, this is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. Uh, another way to say that maybe the Ron Sider translation would say, uh, sent his son to be the nonviolent action <laughs> that saved us from down his life. This is how we know what love is. Um, what, you, in a, in a real sense, you were enacting the love of Christ on behalf of these people, meaning you knew that the optics would be bad for the people being funded by America to kill Americans. So you used your body as a definitive no against violence and hoped that the optics would be stronger than their desired to kill you. <laughs> yeah? Uh, something like that. I, I certainly wouldn't want to put it anywhere close to what Christ was doing uh, in the incarnation and the cross, but uh, I do think the New Testament calls us to um, um, follow Christ uh, and yeah. live like him 
And so in, in very, very tiny ways, uh, uh, I suppose there's um, some analogy. Yeah. I Again, yeah, you're, uh, you coming down the mountain wasn't uh, atoning for this village. But, in a, but in a, <laughs> I just want to be clear. But, um, but in a real sense, Ron, I think that what, what I mostly hear from people, and you referenced this earlier, is that there's two, there's two options. We either check out and go passive or we kill. And I, th- I think most people, they just lack an imagination for how to, to leverage their power for the sake of love in an engaged, active, you know, rigorous way, in a way that costs them. And so, he, this book of stories, sharing these stories about how people have done this, I think just expands and, and blows up our imagination so that we can't imagine what it looks like to respond nonviolently in love towards evil and suffering in our world. Yeah, the stories are simply amazing and, and wonderful. Um, just ordinary people, you know, in the Philippines. Um, it, there was some preparation, but, um, but not massive preparation. And uh, Marcos um, tried to steal the election. And yes. Just um, a million plus people uh, came out into the uh, central uh, thoroughfare uh, and uh, protested. And Marcos uh, sent his troops, um, and uh, you know they they came in. They moved toward the people. There's an amazing story where uh, praying nuns are right under the treads of a huge tank, yes. and the tank edges forward just uh, you know a few inches and then stops, and edges forward a couple inches and stops. Uh, and um, uh, in in one case, um, uh, the soldiers were. were just clearly, you could visibly uh, see them, they said, uh, wrestling with uh, what to do. And finally, they just couldn't pull the trigger uh, on all these um, uh, fellow citizens um, sitting there, kneeling there, praying, and ready to give their lives. Uh, And that was what finally uh, ended the uh, dictatorship of of Marcos. Yep. It, the, the thing that's common through all these stories is how most of these nonviolent, I think every one of these nonviolent sort of action revolutions was grassroots from the ground up. It wasn't orchestrated by a government or it wasn't funded by a budget. It, uh, some of them were, like, like you said, like in the moment responses. Um, I'm struck by how many are led by women too in this, in this book. Uh, but I, I just think that's, uh, I want to hold that before us that I think if we added up the, the military spending of, uh, of every government in the world per year, we're, we're talking, what, trillions of dollars, trillion dollars, uh, at least billions of dollars. Uh, oh, a trillion, uh, a trillion plus. The U.S. budget is somewhere around 700 billion just by itself, and we spend more than the next four or five countries combined, but it's way over a trillion dollars every year. Yep. So it's staggering to me that... Even when the world spends a trillion dollars a year on violent resolutions to conflict, nonviolent action that gets no funds, practically no funds, is still more effective. <laughs> like, what would happen if we took 1% of the 1 trillion and funded and trained people into nonviolent resistance and, and action? It just blows my mind. Like, so, so your book doesn't just say nonviolent action is faithful. Your book doesn't just say nonviolent action can work sometimes. Your book is saying nonviolent action is changing the world and it's more effective than killing and it's not getting any of the resources that violence is getting. 
world, there's a World Peace Tax Fund that, that gets introduced every year in the U.S. Congress, and uh, a few, not a majority, of um, people in the House um, uh, co-sponsor it, and it would simply give American taxpayers the freedom to designate um, some of their taxes, the, the amount that goes to the military, to um, world peacemaking. Uh, that's worth um, supporting. The other thing that I think is is really important, it's central to the argument of my book, Nonviolent Action, is that I think that the ethical logic of both just war Christians and nonviolent or pacifist Christians requires that they do the, court, the kind of nonviolent intervention that I'm talking about. You know, just war people say that um, uh, you can't go to war unless... You exhaust. You exhaust every possible means. And one of the criteria, uh, you know, it must be a just war, must be declared, uh, must not aim at civilians. But one of the criteria is precisely that you have to have explored carefully and openly all the viable nonviolent alternatives. And I say to just war people, Given the amazing success of nonviolent campaigns in the last 50, 75 years, uh, how can you claim that you're meeting your own criteria uh, of um, uh, a last resort uh, unless we decide that as Christians, we're going to invest um, millions and millions of dollars and train thousands and thousands of our people in the techniques of nonviolence and then move into situations? And as far as pacifists are concerned, uh, I say, um, you know, you, we claim to have an alternative uh, yeah. to uh, war and killing, uh, but uh, that rings hollow unless we're willing to engage in the kind of dangerous intervention that soldiers are willing to do, risking their lives, um, they hope, for um, peace and justice, um, and we don't have any integrity as pacifists unless we do the same sort of thing. So the logic, the ethical logic of both of the major Christian traditions on um, on war and killing compel require that they get involved in this kind of nonviolent action. Yes, yes. So, so we've been talking global, worldwide, uh, political na- nationalities. Let's bring it down to like the local church pastor for just a moment. Um, over the last maybe what five ten years, the plur- 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 proliferation. There it is proliferation of stories about active shooters in churches has just skyrocketed. People are uh, coming into churches, shooting up churches. And so churches are developing these policies now of having pistols in the pulpit and armed guards standing at the door during worship. Um, And so I wonder, I wonder, Ron, taking your knowledge, uh, your exegesis, your theology, what would you propose as an alternative to like a violent protection of a violent intruder for churches? What, what could churches begin to explore on ways to uh, make their spaces safe that doesn't active, uh, actually lead to more violence? Yeah, well, that's not an easy question, um, and, and that's, uh, that's tough. But um, uh, I go to a church that believes that Christians are not supposed to kill. Uh, we don't have people uh, there with guns. And uh, we don't uh, uh, prepare for that. What um, I think would be appropriate, I'm not sure that my local congregation does this, but um, to the extent that a congregation uh, feels that they need to prepare for the possibility of a violent intruder, 
then I think uh, they ought to be talking about the techniques of nonviolence. They ought to be talking uh, about um, how they would respond, um, how um, people would um, uh, rush that person. Uh, you know, I don't think that uh, Jesus nonviolence means that um, we do nothing in the face of evil. I think it would be entirely appropriate for uh, a number of people to rush the person. Um, initially, a few, of course, would get uh, shot and, and killed, but they would quickly um, overwhelm that person and physically restrain him and take uh, the gun away. I think that kind of uh, discussion and that kind of preparation would be entirely appropriate. Yes. Uh, it struck me again, something you said in our first podcast that's worth repeating. I think that I think as as we as I think through that, what occurs to me is that for many Christians, the worst possible thing that could happen to them is that they would die, and so they have to they have to keep themselves alive at any cost. But I, I think I think what what the New Testament reveals, I think you would contend for this too, Ron. You may have even said this last time, is that the, actually the worst possible thing for a Christian isn't that you would die; it's that you would murder somebody. <laughs> like, Abandon Jesus and, and hell to live like Jesus. And yes. if one believes, as Christians do, that um, death is not the end, that Jesus rose from the dead and promises that we too will live forever with him, then uh, you know I'm very much at 80. I, I want to live some more and enjoy my grandchildren. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, uh, death is not the worst thing that can happen. The worst yeah. thing that can happen is to abandon Jesus. Yeah, and... And there's a lot of ways to abandon Jesus. Yeah. Well, Ron, if um, just maybe as we wrap up here, what what are some? You mentioned a few organizations, uh, different peacemaking groups that you've been a part of, or that you like. Where would I go if I wanted to get more resources or information about training in nonviolence and people who are actively resourcing people and how to how to develop those competencies and imaginations? Where would I go for that? Yeah, uh, well, one place is certainly Christian Peacemaker Teams. They have a, a website and uh, people volunteer. And they have people, for example, in the West Bank, um, uh, in Hebron, in the West Bank. Uh, they've been active in Colombia. Uh, I think that today they um, are active in Iraq, in the, um, in the Kurdish uh, section of mm. Iraq. So, you know, they're doing it. They're training their people. They've got materials. Uh, there's a whole book uh, or two um, on the history of Christian peacemaker teams um, uh, on their website. They even have my um, uh, 1984 Strasbourg uh, speech where I, uh, I talked about the idea and initiated that whole process in the mm. uh, Mennonite world. Um, one could just Google um, nonviolent yeah. right and uh, lots of uh, things would come up Uh, you know in my book nonviolent action uh, i have uh, a bibliography so there are lots of uh, sources there where people can go yeah great well ron i I think it just bears repeating even those of our listeners we have a lot of listeners who maybe aren't uh, committed to christian nonviolence or pacifism maybe they maybe they fancy themselves or uh, have convictions about just war theory. And I think you would argue that even, even if you're a just war theorist as a Christian, you should be trained in nonviolent action because, <laughs> because part of your logic is to exhaust those possibilities. Yeah. We should uh, explore for the first time ever in Christian history, if you will, oh, wow. how much we could do through nonviolent um, resistance to evil. 
until we really try that in large numbers, uh, we'll never know. But yeah. it seems to me that just for uh, ethics and pacifist ethics require that we do that. Yeah. Well, Ron, thank you so much for your witness, faithful witness, decades and decades of calling the church to faithfulness in uncomfortable ways, right? So your books are written on topics that you don't bring up on ho- at holidays <laughs> with extended family members. They make us uncomfortable. They're a little... They're, uh, they're, they're really challenging. They call us into a deeper faithfulness maybe than uh, most Americans uh, want to think we need to do. But uh, I just appre- so appreciate you, your writings. Are you working on anything now? Do you have any uh, other writing projects yes, on the horizon? I'm actually working on uh, uh, two collections of uh, my speeches and, uh, and sermons <clears throat> that will come out in the next uh, 12 months. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm... Uh, um, working on an autobiography that uh, is no. hasn't even started to be written, but uh, I'll do that in the next uh, 12 months, uh, I would guess. And I do a regular blog, uh, ronsiderblog.substack.com. I've, it's free, and I'd be delighted to have people join. Yeah. That. Well, great. We'll put that link in our show notes. Ron, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, well-earned retirement. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.